Hey everyone, welcome back to the Integrated Interventions Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler C., and today on the show, I sit down with Integrated Interventions Director of Operations, Corey Kuheana, and Holly Little, the founder and executive director of the Isaac Foundation, to talk about the foundation's mission to enhance the lives of those touched by autism. Well, Holly, thank you for joining us today. Um, for the folks who do not know, can you explain the Isaac Foundation and what that is um, and how that came about? Sure. So Isaac Foundation is a nonprofit organization that serves most of eastern Washington and part of North Idaho, mm -hmm. providing a variety of supports that meet a family's needs when you have a loved one that's touched by autism. And it came about because in um, my oldest son, Isaac, when he was 15 months old, he was identified with red flags for autism. But this was 14 years ago. So the criteria that they used to um, diagnose autism was a little different. Mm -hmm. um, and he he was officially diagnosed at 18 months, and I became well aware of the fact that resources were pretty lacking, mm. um, and he passed away in 2007 unexpectedly, and so... I just thought, well, maybe this is what I meant to channel some of that grief um, towards. And so we've been providing um, services through the Isaac Foundation ever since. Right. So um, how does that look uh, in your, with your like, family dynamic? What's that processing like? Well, ironically, it's funny you should say that. Um, after Isaac passed away, I was blessed with another uh, baby boy. And he he's 11 now, but he was born... I guess it was 11 months after Isaac passed away and, um, he went on to be diagnosed with high functioning autism. So, you know, if you would have told me, you know, when I started the Isaac foundation 12 years ago that I, um, you know, it wasn't because I was expecting to need the services that we were providing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, you know, cause I thought my autism parenting experience ended, but we got to know a lot of families over the years of helping to provide supports. And one of the things that we found is, is that, the needs are always evolving. And then of course too, you know, as the years went on and we realized that Caleb was on the autism spectrum, you know, and then I realized, wait, I'm still on this journey. It just looks different mm -hmm. because Isaac was lower functioning and Caleb is higher functioning. Um, it's an ever changing process. Mm -hmm. You know, what, you know, Isaac foundation started doing 12 years ago is much different than what we're doing now because mm -hmm. you have to constantly, you know, assess needs and the gaps in services, um, what, um, isn't being done well or efficiently, and then try and figure out a way that you can, um, you know, fill some of those gaps. And, um, some of this is just because of the relationships I built with families over the years and just, you know, talking and understanding their struggles. And then some of it is because I'm still a mom. I'm an autism mom at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm still always looking to the future. And also, how can we streamline and make things better? You mentioned um, how it was different when you first started the Isaac Foundation. Can you speak to some of those differences? Like, what did it look like when you all first started? Well, number one, when Isaac was first diagnosed, and this was, you know, you know you're talking... I guess it would be 14 years ago, mm. um, there wasn't a real good network of parent support. I mm. would say that's the biggest difference. Um, there was also fewer providers. There were, um, you know, again, when Isaac was diagnosed, I knew no other, no other parents that had a kid um, like mine. So mm. all of my, none of my friends could really relate to my experiences because they weren't walking that life. Mm. So, um, you know, even when you're talking about 
trying different interventions. Um, we were just, you know, we're about 10 years behind East Coast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of this up and coming, you know, even doing research was different back then. I'd have to go to the library and check out a book, you know what I mean? Because, mm. you know, ebooks weren't really yeah, that yeah, popular. Yeah, Audio books yeah, yeah. weren't really a thing. So I'd have to, you know, find, you know, figure out first if our library even had a book I wanted to read mm -hmm. or I would have to order it online and have it sent. Um, you know, the internet wasn't, you know, there wasn't, Facebook was just kind of emerging, and so it really wasn't that network of support that you could tap into and ask questions. So you like literally had to use like the card catalog. Exactly, it was like literally eggs. old school. You know yeah. what I mean? Going to Barnes and Nobles, and yes. you know, and again, it's not like something you could just put it out there and be like, "Hey, anybody have a copy of such and such book? Mm -hmm. I really want to read it." It wasn't like that at all. Mm -hmm. um, and just the biggest part, the thing I was just—I really felt like I was alone. I was just like. Literally, the analogy was I was in a rowboat, rowing in the dark, having no idea if I'm ever going to hit land because mm, wow. there was no one to hold my hand. They couldn't relate to me. I didn't know anybody else that was struggling with the things that I did. When I would uh, find someone mm -hmm. that was walking, they had older kids. And so it's like, you know, it's hard to say, you know, is my son, does he have enough similarities that this is what, you know, this would be a good person mm -hmm. to connect with to understand what this might look like when we move forward. Mm -hmm. um, now you fast forward. Sadly, autism is more prevalent and the, you know, you know, diagnosis rate is one in 59. So there's many more people that are impacted. Um, you also have outlets like social media where you can connect virtually because it was very isolating as well. Mm -hmm. Difficult to go mm -hmm. places. Um, there wasn't in a lot of inclusive opportunities to be able to take Isaac to um, be able to connect with other people. Um, and now it's totally different. There's Facebook mm -hmm. groups. There's more, um, you know, recreational activities out there. You know, you know, groups like Isaac Foundation doing family events where mm -hmm. you can come out and there's no judgments, you can do all of these things. And so it's not isolating like mm -hmm. it once was the, and that is where, um, I think when, if you, if you interview a parent who has an older kiddo, I think that probably that's that resounding feeling of isolation. Mm -hmm. Um, where do you go? Um, what can you do? Um, how do you get out there and not have those judgmental stares and, mm -hmm. you know, and connecting with other people? So is it, in that regard, like, um, one of the things that you mentioned in our, when we were at the community partner, uh, training workshop um, was your other kids. How how do you what what does it look like to raise a diverse family? Oh my goodness, that is a fantastic question. I'm mm -hmm. glad you asked. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting. Every day is an adventure, and I will tell you a story. So I like to um, chronicle my life through. Um, I've been writing under like sock pants and superheroes for a long time because mm -hmm. of my kids. And again, I have a I have, you know. Caleb, who has special needs, and then I have my son Tyler, who is um, 15. Best in the world, by the way. Exactly, best. Yeah, I'm going to throw that yeah. out. My son Tyler, you know, he's neurotypically, he does not have autism, but because of PTSD, anxiety, he has Tourette's, and so he struggles with this. We've had to do a lot of different interventions through um, the years to try and help him to control his Tourette's. And then I have my daughter, Kelly, who is um, she's nine now, and she is neurotypical in all aspects, and she is super ticked off about it. So here's <laughs> what the inter interesting dynamic is, is that, you know, my kids, you know, they get to a certain age where it's like, oh no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, and then things aren't fine. You know, um, you know, my kids have had to sacrifice a lot because of their brother's differences mm. and whether it's just something that they've had to do. Um, and we try to accommodate everybody and make it fair. 
but life's not fair. Hmm. You know, we can't, we're not a normal family. We're never going to be a normal family. Um, how we respond to that is never going to be like normal families. And so, you know, we do have to make sacrifices. We have to make accommodations. Um, and it is going to make my other two children frustrated because things aren't always easy. Things aren't always smooth. There are many, many, many moments of embarrassment that they've had to suffer over the year because of little social mistakes that we've made over a long period of time. But what's interesting about this is that, um, you know, Tyler's done has a variety of counseling and different interventions because of his Tourette's. Caleb is in a plethora of therapy. And my youngest daughter is very resentful about the fact that there's so much energy and focus mm. that goes into differently abled siblings. Um, and she gets nothing. Mm. And one day my son Tyler in the car, cause she's throwing a hissy fit in the backseat about life not being fair. She had to go to therapy again. You know, then after we were done, we were going to have to go do something for Tyler. And she just throws this hissy fit tantrum in the backseat. And my son Tyler starts laughing and he says, Oh my gosh. Okay. Wait, pause. You know, pump the brakes here. So you're complaining because you are normal. Like that's, that's your biggest problem in life. You know what I mean? Like, is that you're normal? And it was just this moment of, you know what? There is an element of that. It's like, they're writing this line of, I'm annoyed because I have to sacrifice so much because, you know, I have a brother with autism. I have to do therapies and we can't do certain restaurants and he's very limited in his likes and dislikes. So let's limit some of the things that we can do. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, she, then she will still get jealous. It's like there's so much focus and they get all these, you know, the boys had to get glasses. She didn't get glasses and she was very PO'd about that. You know what I mean? Even like just like, you know, the horrible, you know, it's just the injustice of not even having to get get to wear prescription glasses. Mm -hmm. You know, she just so badly wants, it's like now she almost wants to be a little bit different so that she can get some of the focus. And mm -hmm. we do find that siblings will start mirroring and emulating mm -hmm. some of the behaviors of their sibling because if that's what's going to get responded to and that's going to put them on on the mm -hmm. map, they're going to do that. And Tyler did that when Isaac was little. Um, there was a time where I took him and I'm like, oh, I think I have another one that has autism. And they said, no, it's just that, you know, this is way young children behave to try and get some of that a focus to, mm -hmm. to get some of that attention. And so how we respond to that in our family is number one, we try and spend time where we can go and just do something that's just all about the one kiddo. We're going to go mm -hmm. out and do, I don't know if you've ever watched this show. It's called Speechless. Their child, um, it's oh. a com with Mini Driver, um, and she, he's, her son has cerebral palsy and he's yep. in a wheelchair, mm -hmm. so he, you know, has, you know, um, like, uh, some communication challenges. Yeah. He like uses the, uh, yeah. keyboard. Yeah, exactly. So it's actually, um, gaze shifting where he spells things out using the laser that's on his glasses oh, okay, because yeah, yeah. he doesn't have, um, a lot of function even yeah. in his hands, but he was off doing something that day. And so it was like, you know, okay, well now we don't have our child that has, you know, accessibility issues. Like what would you guys want to do? And so they went out and did all of these different things that they would never be able to do because their brother's in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so they went and played um, paintball. They went and, you mm -hmm. know, like did all went to restaurants that I don't think they could access because of, you know, like wheelchair mm -hmm. accessibility. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's like, this is the best day ever. And then they all just paused, look at each other. And then they felt really guilty. And that's kind of the same thing. It's like, we try and create opportunities where we can go out and we can just be like, okay, we don't have Caleb today and we can do anything we want to do. And so you go and do it and you have the best time ever, but then there's still that little bit of you that feels a little guilty because it's like you loved it so much. <laughs> and yet it's kind of sad that that, you know, those yeah. types of things you can't just do every day. And, um, so it's this love, my daughter has a love hate relationship. She loves her brother more than anything. She would be, she would be the one that tortures him 
him in some ways. You know, she'll, she just sometimes just feels the need to push his button, just like every brother mm-hmm. or sister. Mm-hmm. But yet, when he gets bullied at school, oh, look mm-hmm. out. That's girl, what oh, oh, you, oh, you better just look out because, like, I can mess with him, but yeah. nobody ever. Oh, you sure. don't even look at him. <laughs> you just keep walking. Yeah, and no. she's the little sister. But I tell you what, yeah, nobody messes with her brother. That's my job. Uh-huh. Yeah. My job is to mess with my brother, not any of you other people. <laughs> yeah. So, um, a couple of things. One, I'm sorry to cut you off, but it no. just made me think of the, the training that we went to and the story that you, one of the stories that you told was about um, the, I don't want you, I don't, I want to say behavioral, behaviorally challenged the bully kid who was oh, like yes. great for, can you tell that story for us? Though? I surely will. So, one of the things that we find is that kids like my son who are high functioning, mm-hmm. they tend to be befriended by some of those kids mm-hmm. that tend to be, mm. well, let's just say the bullies. Okay. The kids that are, tend to find themselves into a lot of trouble. And so at our last school district, that was Caleb. His best buddy was the meanest, most ornery, the one, the kid that everybody was afraid of mm-hmm. was my son's little buddy. Um, the one birthday party you got invited to was this particular bully's birthday okay. party. And I was just like, ooh, Oh gosh, I don't know. We went back and forth. Like, is this a good idea? I don't even know. Like, I don't even know what to do here. And, you know, Kayla's thing, you know, his point was, but I have to go. Like, you know, he's my best friend. Like, mm-hmm. I have to go. Um, you know, like, I want to go. And so we made the decision that we were going to go to this child's birthday party. Mm-hmm. And there, there are pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pros is I didn't have to worry about anybody, like, picking on my son mm-hmm. because uh, Damien would have been on that in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's yeah. like, um, and, but yet, um, Damien would teach him things that I would rather Caleb not know yeah. <laughs> or and not say and not do. Yeah. Um, and that's that hard part because, you know, Caleb's ability to, you know, this is his friend. If his friend tells him something, he's going to believe it. He's mm-hmm. going to do it. He's going to, you know, because mm-hmm. this is his friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that whole trying to teach him that, you know, like, um, you know, Damien might not be the best of influences. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he – and it actually – I, come, I came to actually really like this young man mm-hmm. um, because, you know, again, he, he has a different, you know, his childhood has not been an easy one. And some of the way he behaves is in response to that. And so, um, you know, there's that, that gratefulness for it's mm-hmm. like, thank you, child, for protecting my son. And yeah. then that part of me, it's like, oh, if you could just maybe be a little <laughs> nicer and not so like mm-hmm. in trouble all the time, that uh, would be something. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. it's that it's that. You know, oh, balance. Balance. It's like, where do we find that balance? So we went to the birthday party. It was one of the most interesting birthday parties we've ever been to. But on, on the other hand, too, is like it was beautiful too, mm-hmm. because um, the fact that we came really was. I think it surprised this young man because mm-hmm. again, he's struggled mm-hmm. throughout his life having friends, and so I think the fact that we came. Um, was probably a good experience that he'll probably remember forever. So for sure, yeah. And one of the things that you say, um, and that you said in the training, and that you we've noticed more and more here today, and I've, I feel like since the training, I've tried to be more um, uh, direct with and understanding with is the fact that you. And if I say this wrong, I'm so sorry. You can, you won't but, make a mistake. Go uh, right okay. ahead. Okay, you're not going to make a mistake. The difference between and you've said it multiple times. The difference between um, having an child with autism or a young adult with autism and having a um, autistic son or oh, yeah. can you speak about that a little bit because, yeah. yeah so there is kind of that 
it's called people first language. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, language, you know, they, at the end of the day, these are people, mm-hmm. they are people first and then whatever their, um, classifying, um, label or diagnosis. So for me, one of my real, um, sensitivities is, you know, my son has autism. Um, he is not autistic. Like I don't, I don't, ref- I don't refer to him as my autistic mm. son. This is my autistic son, Caleb. No, this is my son first and foremost. And he has autism and it's the same with a person that has down syndrome. They are people, um, first, but like when I asked my son, it's just, you know, I noticed that I really don't like, you know, like, Oh, where's your autistic son? Mm. Well, my son with autism is at school today or he's there mm. or, um, you know, and it's just, I know that it's kind of one of my personal hangups, but but to the same degree, when I talk to my son and I say, and I ask him, I, I was very honest with him. I said, out of curiosity, um, you know, like, are you autistic? Do you feel that you're autistic? And he said, I don't know what that means. And I said, mm-hmm. well, are you, do you have autism? He says, oh yeah, I have autism. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know what it means to be autistic. And I thought, you know what, that's really interesting because really what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, again, where you talk about people first language, mm-hmm. where, you know, it's the person, the boy, the girl, um, you know, and then whatever that classifying label is. And um, and so they call it, it's called people first language. And we're moving. I believe that in the years to come, we're going to be more focused on that mm-hmm. as just kind of, uh, you know, um, sensitivity training, if you will. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. also, you know, there's also the, the, the difference between... Um, you know, autism, it most absolutely can be a disability because mm-hmm. when it's more severe, it, you, it definitely is a disability, mm-hmm. but for individuals that are higher functioning, like Caleb, um, he doesn't see himself as being disabled. Um, mm-hmm. he's differently abled and he recognizes he has to do things differently and his brain processes things mm-hmm. differently, but he doesn't identify as a person that's disabled because he has autism. He considers it, you know, this is one of the cool things about what makes me special mm-hmm. and unique and the person that I am. And so that's kind of that other element of just, you know, thinking about even, you know, a person with, you know, cerebral palsy, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily make them disabled. Mm -hmm. They may have to do things differently. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that we're going to be seeing a lot more of that differently abled versus disabled. And, you know, like I said, there's still, there are still instances of people that definitely, um, it's to the point where it impacts all, you know, functions of their, of their, um, you know, independent living Mm -hmm. that, that then becomes a disability. But, I don't think we talk enough about just the fact that sometimes it's just being differently abled. Well, even at, um, at integrated interventions, our owners have always, I think had this motto or this, um, saying that you're not your diagnosis. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to anybody with anything that is a, not even a struggle, but something that helps define their life or, um, is difficult to get through that you don't focus on the problem so much or not even the problem or viewing it as a problem, but saying this is something I have, but it doesn't define me as a person. It's not who I am. Um, just like a person, if they were a vet who, you know, had missing limbs from war, they're not defined as somebody who doesn't have legs. They're the person and this has happened along the way. So I definitely agree that, um, that especially moving forward, that that's something that we'll all be focused on. I know at, at integrated, we definitely, um, we don't put the diagnosis above the individual. So mm-hmm. I think that's really cool that you you differentiate those things. Well, and to your point, that's a really good um, 
that's really good to keep in mind too, because one of the things, you know, my son, Caleb, he's really funny because he's like obsessed with watching the news. And so, you know, and he likes doing his research and we, you know, we could talk about that all day long because there's mm-hmm. some great stories that come out of some of his like spins on politics and just current world affairs. But, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that he came across in his internet, like, you know, on watching the news outlets is the fact that, um, there was an article about, Oh, we're one step closer to curing autism. Mm. And he came to me, he says, mom, you know, like this horrible thing is happening. And I was like, what? He says, they're trying to cure autism. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I, I, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, what do you say? Mm. You know what I mean? Cause I'm just like, okay. And he says, why in the world would they want to do that? Like, I'm so awesome. Like, why would, <laughs> like, why would any, like, it, to cure it, it would mean mm-hmm. that it's something bad and mm-hmm. autism isn't bad. So like, why do that? Why does anybody feel like we have to cure it? And mm. I was just like, I, I, I have no response to that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But it begs the question and, and it is to what you're saying mm-hmm. is that, you know, um, these people are not broken. Mm-hmm. These people are not defined by their diagnosis. Um, do they process the world differently? Yes. Um, but they have, and I feel like when we can focus on their strengths and mm-hmm. we can really, um, get them excited about their strengths and what goes right. And, um, you know, like with my son, I don't, he doesn't do math well. And I said, we are not focused on the things you don't do well. And Mm -hmm. I've talked to the school repeatedly about the fact that, you know what, you're right. Um, he, math is not his strong suit. Give him a calculator. Now let's focus on the great things that he does. And that's actually build some really fantastic Mm -hmm. things about this because he's not going to go into a field where math is going to be a dominating factor Mm -hmm. because that's not the way his brain works. Now look at all the other things that we have Mm -hmm. to work with here. that's going to make him have an amazing life. Can you speak about that a little bit more as far as like the schooling aspect goes? Like what did that look like when your son got into school and like dealing with, not dealing with, but working with teachers and um, that whole experience? You know what? That's a really good question. And I think it's a mixed bag. Every year is a little bit different Mm because you have different people to the table. We switched school districts because um, we just felt like moving him to a larger district was going to give us more opportunities to... um, focus and develop the things he's really good at when you're in a smaller school district. It's a little bit just because of resources Mm -hmm. and, um, availability of, um, you know, access to some of those, um, different programs become fairly limited. Mm -hmm. And I will say every year it's a little bit different because every year you have a different teacher Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, this is a really good year, um, in that, you know, his, how I deal with it is, um, going into a new district, new teacher, I have what I call the Caleb manual that I email the teacher and anyone that's going to be working with him in advance. And Mm -hmm. I just talking about some of these same things that we're talking about, you know, Caleb is not disabled. He's differently abled. Um, his brain, like here's all of his strengths and the things that he does really well and, um, why that is. And then here are the, you know, short list of things that he kind of struggles with. Um, and here's kind of why he struggles with these things. You know, he's rigid on certain things. You're going to find this a struggle in a classroom because they, need to know those things. But, mm. um, you know, and I also use the, um, and I don't know if I use this analogy with you guys, the Xbox versus the PS4 analogy. Oh no, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, that oh my amazing. gosh. Okay. Mm. This is a great, and I want you to use this. Anybody listening to mm. this, feel free to use this. I have therapists and teachers all the time saying, can I use that analogy? Yes. If it <laughs> helps to create a, a place of dialogue and understanding, then like absolutely use it. But, you know, with Caleb early on, you know, he knew that he was different, but he needed a way in a, to understand that 
for a child. Mm. And so the easiest way that we felt like we could get him to understand this is um, to use game consoles, like video game consoles, as the analogy to build this understanding. And mm. it works really well because Caleb himself prefers to play, um, do gaming on a PS4, mm. while his brothers and cousins all have Xboxes. But he very early on just absolutely wanted to have this PS4 because there was different games and different things he liked about it. So he has his PS4. All the rest of them all have Xboxes. And, um, you know, and that's how that was what we built this understanding on is, is that, you know, it would be difficult to say it's impossible, I think, to say which one is better, a PS4 or an Xbox. Mm. They're just different. Mm. They have different games. They have different controllers. Um, the graphic, you know, the video cards mm. are slightly different, right? Mm-hmm. They have, they're just different. And it would be really difficult for anyone to say that one is better than the other. But the problem that we have in this world and even in school is, is that schools are designed to teach to Xboxes because that's mm. the majority of the game consoles mm-hmm. in the world are all Xboxes. Mm-hmm. So teachers learn how to teach kids using Xbox games. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have little PS4 brains that are, you know, peppered around here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is that, you know, when he would come home super frustrated because he doesn't understand and his teacher's getting mad at him because he doesn't understand and they think he's being difficult and he's being rigid. Um, you know, if you can, if you can do this so well, then you should be able to do these other things just as well. And it, and like I t- explained to Caleb, the problem is, is that they're taking Xbox games and they're trying to put it in a PS4 game console and expecting mm-hmm. it to work the same way. Now, mm-hmm. it can work, but it has to be recoded. Mm-hmm. And if a teacher doesn't understand how to code it properly so that when it goes into the PS4 brain, mm-hmm. that it's going to get, you know, quick turnaround and great output, mm-hmm. then we're going to have problems. You know, we are really blessed this year because we have a teacher who she is an Xbox teacher, but she can, she codes it, she recodes it so that when it comes into Caleb's brain, like we're hitting the ground running. Mm-hmm. And that is so fantastic. But not all teachers have the ability to do that. And they do get frustrated because mm-hmm. it's like, you know what, I've been doing this for 20 years. Like, here's my lesson. You know, it works for 85% of the other kids. Mm. And so, you know, and because Caleb has what we call splinter skills, um, he's really, really good at some things, but that doesn't translate to be the same. So an Mm. example is um, Caleb is really good about memorizing, you know, habitats, evolutions, moons of the solar system, those types of things. And they're just creepy in his head. He can pull them out. Um, He knows, you know, current world Mm -hmm. affair things, that sort of thing. Now. Um, so teachers will say, well, he knows how to do all of these things and he has a great memory because when he wants to remember it, he can't, but now we do, 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 over here, now we're calculating math and he can't memorize what three times six is. Mm-hmm. And we know he can do it because if he can memorize all the moons to the Mar or to Mars, he should be able to memorize the times tables, mm-hmm. but that's not the way his brain works because he has what's called dyscalculia, which is a dyslexia when it comes to numbers. So he can remember all of this stuff over here about names of the moons and all of these habitat, you know, pieces of information. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about stagnant numbers, he'll never be able to do that well. Mm. But, you know, getting, trying to get teachers to understand Mm. that, you know what, hey, we can work around the fact that he can't memorize times tables and he can be still very proficient, but you know what, it's just going to have to look differently. Mm. And you have some pushback because that does require teachers to have to kind of do greater amount of work because mm-hmm. then you have a lesson and you have to have kind of basically a platform to be able to have a PS4 accommodation, if you will. And that is exhausting. But when you're working with kids and you use this analogy amongst Caleb's peers, they're like, ah, oh, 
So it's like, hey, you know, Caleb's just like anybody else. It's just that if you want to play with him, then you're going to have to play with the PS4 console. So, mm-hmm. and that means the controllers are going to be a little bit different. He's right. still super fun. The games can be super fun too, but you guys just have to just understand that you're going to have to tweak it a little bit because you're playing on his game console now and it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Now, Caleb can be, come over and play with you guys too. It's just that it's going to take him a little bit to kind of get the, you know, he'll catch mm-hmm. up, yeah. but you're going to have to be patient and not get upset because he's not going to hit the ground running. And once you give people the, like a place of understanding, mm-hmm. great things happen. But it's kind of like, oh, for kids, it's like, oh, that makes total sense. I have no problem with that. Mm. Isn't that cool? You know what I mean? When you go in there, like I said, I give people the Caleb manual. Here's your manual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's all the things that go right. You know, again, I, I mean, it's, you know, it's a long email, but for teachers that read it, it's like, oh my goodness, this makes so much sense. And then of course they'll forward it on to anybody else that has contact with them. And we have great success. Where we struggle is um, teachers where it's like, oh, I've had other kids with autism in my class. Like, it's fine. Mm. Okay. Well, you know, that's great. I'm so glad to hear that you've had other kids with autism in your class. But um, as with all people, people with autism are different as well. You know, they're all unique. They're all individualized. And so, you know, you can't just have a one size fits all approach and think it's going to cross the board work for every person with autism or every person with Down syndrome or every person with cerebral palsy. And so, um, or one of my other personal favorites is, is that, oh, you know, I had a brother or sister with this growing up. So I'm the resident expert and, um, you know, here's, you know, oh, you're coddling him or you need to push him harder here. And it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> and how old is your brother or sister? Oh, they're, you know, 30, 40, 50, yeah. whatever the case may be. And it's like, you know what? Wow. You know, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, you know, things are a little different now. How interventions are a lot different. Yeah. How we respond to some of these things, probably a little different than how we handled it when your brother or sister was young. Um, so I get that you're an expert and you're a teacher. You went to school. Okay, that's awesome. Um, but you know, I'm an expert when it comes to this little person. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I feel like the, sometimes the pushback that a lot of parents experience is, is that I think that sometimes your perspective isn't respected, mm-hmm. um, or I'm a teacher, I've been teaching for X many of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you sometimes special ed teachers tend to honestly be some of, um, you know, I get you've seen, you've seen a lot, but you know, you should be wanting parent input and parent experience and, Hey, mm-hmm. let's collaborate or, Hey, we're having this challenge. Like, what does this look like at home? Um, but you know, again, you get into your wheelhouse and you think, you know, it all. Um, and I think we could all learn things from other people, you know, like as a parent, I would love their insight on some of these things because I'm sure there's a lot that I can learn, but mm-hmm. to that same token, um, you know, like I know this little person mm-hmm. and so, you know, let's appreciate each other where we're coming from because if we all collaborated, it would be amazing to see yeah. what would come well, together. And that's what, like, we're actually just talking about this in our meetings about providing like custom fit treatment. Yeah. And, and that's what I think makes us special and different is that we're so focused on the individual and I think that goes back to that whole differentiating between, you know, uh, an autistic child versus having a child with autism yes. is the individual is represented and um, focused on rather than the issue. So, like, that's the thing, too. It always bugged me being like, oh, I've had a, a child with autism in my class. And you're just like, okay, it's, it sounds like you're saying I've dealt with this anomaly before. Yes. I know how to do it without recognizing, you know, that personhood of that individual and being able to be like, oh, well, this, whoever that is, yeah, I know he struggles with this, but because he is who he is, he deals with it in such a different manner. Yeah. Um, and that's cool that. Well, and the language I love to hear is when a teacher says, you know, oh, 
I'm so excited to have him in my class. I can't wait to learn more about him or get mm-hmm. to know him. Mm-hmm. And also two things I love to hear is, is Oh, well, we're just going to like kind of take the first, you know, few weeks and get to know each other. And then like, we'll circle back around mm-hmm. and then, mm-hmm. you know, like see, you know, we'll meet and kind of decide where to go from here. And I love that mm-hmm. because exactly what you're saying, you know, like every single person is different. So get to know him. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to give you kind of a roadmap because, yeah. you know, there are certain things that, you know, if you understand Caleb a little bit better, you're not going to just like, you know, one of my favorite stories with Caleb is, you know, in the school assembly. Um, yes, yes. I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to tell this story because this is, yes. Try to find a way to seat that in there with the nope. story. This I'm, is great. This I'm going to give it to you. So um, it was a school assembly. They had somebody come in from the Mobius Science Center to give a presentation on the solar system, I think is what it was. And at the end of her presentation, she says, does anybody have any questions? Okay. And Caleb shoots his little hand up and Tyler was still at the school. They were in the same school at the time and he Mm -hmm. just had a gut feeling this was going to be bad but before he could get over there to like you know get his hand down he was called on to ask his question and the question was are you a boy or a girl okay and of course everybody in the school started laughing Tyler wanted the ground to open up and swallow him this is that moment where we talk about siblings (laughs) and all the things that they have to deal with and he's Mm -hmm. just like oh mom I just wanted to die because everybody was laughing the speaker was obviously embarrassed teachers were trying to figure out like what to do from there and he's just like, it was just so horrible. And, you know, Caleb, you know, was, couldn't really understand at first what was the problem was. Um, and, of course, too, you know, it's the situation was brought to me. And I said, wow, like that is just, you know, an unfortunate situation. But... You know, look at all the things that we learned. Number one, this speaker learned that while that was a horrible experience, um, if you could be more specific about saying, hey, is there any questions about this presentation? I don't think she will ever make the mistake of just Mm. having an open-ended question like that in a mixed group of people, right? (laughs) But, and then for Caleb, you know, it was a social situation where he learned, okay, so, you know, before you ask a question, you know, like, so, you know, what do you think? You know, she probably was thinking more specific about what she'd been talking about, not just an open-ended one and then a checks and balance for him which is if you have a question like that like find a trusted adult and here's trusted adults that you could go to ask them the question first before Mm -hmm. you say it in an open room like that because you know then you know now he's he's afraid to ask questions in public because people might laugh or he might misunderstand and Mm -hmm. you know ask a question that's not in line with what they were you know thinking or expecting but um, for the teachers too, you know, and this I tell his current teachers, like you know, before you have, per- you know, like vet out the question before he asks it publicly, because mm-hmm. again, you know, he makes social mistakes and he can learn. But it's really unfortunate when he yeah. learns that at the, you know, um, unfortunately in front of everybody, in front of everybody, and context. you know, to this poor woman's, you know, like um, expense. It was just absolutely horrible. Such a great learning experience, mm-hmm. but these could be avoided. So now we always say, you know, it's always best to vet out Caleb's questions before he asks them publicly yeah. uh, or in a safe place. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, tell him who trusted adults are that he can ask questions. Because here's the other reality is trusted adults are not his older teenage brothers because mm-hmm. they're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go ask that person this question. Oh, right. Yeah. Because, again, there's the sibling love where mm-hmm. it's like love him, want to protect him. But it's like, you know, oh, yeah, go ask this person that question that's a great idea um so your siblings are not the ones to always give you the best information especially if they're in middle school exactly especially when they're in middle school or high school situations so to learn more about integrated interventions feel free to visit us on our website at integratedinterventionsllc.com you can also give us a call during the day 
at 208-651-0095 or reach us via email at integratedterry, that's T-E-R-R-Y, at gmail.com. Let's get back into the show. So let's jump back into it. So um, the community partners, am I saying that right? The community partners community partner training? training, yeah. So can you speak to that a little bit? How did that come about? And uh, what exactly, for those who don't know, what do you all do in that regard? Oh, so sorry. That is totally okay. We keep it real on the Integrated Interventions oh Podcast. Yes. Well, that reminds me that it's midway through my day. So because I get so sucked into doing what I do that I have to have a little like reminder. Nice. Okay. So community partner training came because um, originally what we were asked to do was provide create a training program for first responders. And mm-hmm. so we focused first and foremost on fire and EMS. Once we did that and it rolled out and it was wildly successful, law enforcement became a little bit like, well, hey, how come the fire and EMS get it? But we don't have anything. Like, we need it too. So I was like, you know what? You're right. So then we worked with, you know, law enforcement, um, you know, officers to um, come up with training specific to, you know, law enforcement. And that was great. And then um, through that, we taught um, some resource officers that were in school because that was that, you know, like law enforcement side piece. So all of a sudden, these resource officers had these, you know, like this wild ability to be able to really deescalate and kind of cool things down. Mm -hmm. And it started begging that question with teachers. Well, it's like, oh, my gosh, like. You know, where did you, where did, how did you know how to do this? Well, we took this, the fantastic training. You should look into it. So we developed clock hour training. And the clock hour training was for teachers because it's amazing, you know, really um, how many teachers don't have the tools needed to be successful and they have these kids in their classrooms. And so it was actually through that where, um, you know, you have para-eds, you have like school nurses. Um, We were reached out, uh, Vanessa Behan Crisis Nursery reached out and was interesting because, you know, they have kids that are dropped off at the crisis nursery that are obviously on the spectrum and they needed help. And so it was kind of that aha moment where it's like, wow, I mean, you have met the need for EMS, um, you know, firefighters, law enforcement. We also then ended up developing one for search and rescue because Mm. kids with autism wander or people with autism wander. We had one for dispatch teachers and it was like, wow, there's this whole community out there that work and have kids with autism integrated into their programs, Mm -hmm. but they don't know how to make it work successfully. Whether you're at church Mm -hmm. and it's a church nursery, um, whether it's like, again, Vanessa Behan crisis nursery, boys and girls clubs, um, summer camps, you mm-hmm. know, um, camp Gifford, there's some summer camps that have some fantastic programs, um, and kids are integrated into these programs, but the people that are in the, you know, facilitating these working in these programs didn't have any classical training in terms of what autism was and how to meet some of these really easy needs. Mm-hmm. So that was the reason why, we decided that, you know what, that's really interesting. We should probably like have a program specifically for community partners. Um, interestingly thing, I will tell you this too, through all of this, we know, we've trained all these different kind of people with different backgrounds. And then we realized, um, through just 
input, like evaluations and such that first responders and teachers were coming to us and saying, Oh my gosh, like my mind is blown. Like this is like amazing, best autism training we've ever had. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Like I have a kid that's on the spectrum and I didn't even know all of these things. Like, um, why don't they teach you this when your kid gets diagnosed? And it was one of those like aha moments where it's like, you know what? We've been focusing so much on educating the community and first responders and teachers that we never even actually really thought about the fact that a lot of parents don't mm-hmm. actually know why their beha- that their children have these behaviors or why they do what they do. And so we actually even have a parent version of it. Mm-hmm. And it has been wildly successful as well. But again, you just don't realize like... Mm-hmm. You know, and again, you know, I, I guess I should have thought about it earlier because they don't really give you a manual when your kid gets diagnosed. So yeah. um, we're working on that too. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, as far as, shout out to that motorcycle right there. That's I know, that was great. actually. Was a motorcycle, that was, was one of those little. Mo- it was, yeah, hoverboard. Hoverboard. The hoverboards just Once go up and down. a man yeah. just floated by the yes. door. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, are y'all messing with my life? No. 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 That just happened. It just really. Like standing yes. straight and. Uh, and we're not cutting the, cutting this out of the podcast. Yes. Real. <laughs> no, it really podcast. was a man hovering down the hall. Was so. it really? Yes, he was on a hoverboard. It was quite frightening. My peripherals are fresh. I feel like you guys are missing yeah, your prescription. No, no. And if you, if you pay close attention, you might catch him coming back. So. I'm, I'm going to be like yeah, what? jerking back yeah. and forth. Yeah. So um, I wish we could go into every detail that you went into in that what, three hour course that we took that one time. But what are some. It wasn't! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. I don't know if you did it on purpose, but I appreciate it. You're that. validated. That it is, really I was did like, happen. I am crazy right it, now. It really I'm did crazy. happen. I apologize. Yeah. No. Um, I wish we could we could speak about everything that you talked about on that training, but can you speak to just some of the things, some of like the basic um, aspects that you all go over in those trainings? Sure. So the biggest piece that I think is important, and this is what I make, I think that this training, why this training is so different than a lot of, you know, some of the other options that are out there is, is that we, the biggest piece that we go into is the sensory profile of the person with autism. So a lot of the behavior that you see manifests from, um, Sensory integration. And if you can understand what's going on in the mind and in the body that's related to some of these sensory experiences that they have going on, you can troubleshoot what you're seeing. Some of the behaviors that you need to stop or you need to redirect make a lot more sense. And also, too, if you can understand what's going on in the mind and the body of a person with autism, you have more empathy. Mm-hmm. You have more compassion. You have more patience. Um, and 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 so I think it just beca- it takes the blinders off, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's really. Um, Really, I feel like that is the core of where it helps you to understand where it's coming from because then you can be more successful. But then also we go into a lot of communication. I'm a big believer. Um, Behavior is communication. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know what the behavior is communicating, then you're going to struggle. So what we really do try and do is kind of demystify what what some of this behavior is communicating. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's going to help you be a better communicator um, when you're interacting with them. Mm -hmm. So I would say those are kind of the two big pieces, understanding the sensory piece and then what the behavior is communicating. So one of the ways that you did this in the training was the video of the young man at the fire station. Can you, I know you you guys can't watch this right now. I know you can't. 
can't see it, but well, it's so great. Can you walk us through that verbally? Real yeah. Quick? Well, one of the things that I love is, is that, you know, you have preconceived ideas of what autism is mm-hmm. and that, you know, you see these behaviors and you're like, oh, wow, that man's upset or he, you know, it's mm-hmm. too loud. It's, you know, the lights are bothering him. The sound is bothering him. He's trying to get away. He's stomping his feet. He's shaking his head. Mm-hmm. And I love to show that video. Um, so it's a fire truck that's there in front of him with the lights on and um, the sirens are going and you see him doing something with his ears and you see him shaking his head. You see him, you know, kind of bounce off of a, you know, he kind of backs away and kind of, um, you know, bumps into a chain link fence and he's stomping his feet. Um, and so the horns are going, they do the, um, air horn. And, um, my question I always like to ask is, you know, like, what do you see here? You know, like this, at this point in the training, you're going to have gotten some background on some of these sensory system dysfunctions. And, um, I love to use this video because if you don't know what you're looking at, you're thinking that he is really not um, happy. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the complete opposite. You know, he's cupping, um, you know, behind his ear so that he can capture more sound to get more sound into that ear. Mm-hmm. Um, he shakes his head, um, because he's actually activating the little hair in like those little tiny hairs on the inside of his, you know, the inner ear. Yeah. And he's, he's shaking those to get more vestibular input. He stomps his feet, not because he's upset. It's because he wants more like feeling and sensation into the limbs of his body for body awareness. Um, and of course, light sirens, all of this stuff is going on. And so this, and for him is a perfect sensory experience. Mm -hmm. But again, if you don't know what you're looking at, you would be thinking that, Oh my gosh, this is terrible. This is dysregulating. We got to get away. Um, and it's actually the opposite. Mm -hmm. And actually I will tell you too, at your guys' training that you were at, before you guys, you guys went to get coffee. You checked in, then you went and got coffee. Right. So you guys mm-hmm. were gone for just like a little bit. Mm-hmm. And while that happened, a mom came in to kind of audit my class. And she says, well, you know, I'm here to kind of audit. I heard about it. Um, I was free. You know, I already know pretty much everything I just know about autism because I have a son with autism. But, you know, I figured maybe I'd get like a nugget or two, blah, blah, blah. Well, um, and you guys will know that, you know, when she saw that video, she's like, oh, you know, he's in pain. He doesn't like yeah. it, this, that, and the other. You know, uh-huh. my son does the same thing. And it's like, Uh -uh, uh -uh, uh -uh. that's not exactly what's going on. And she came up and she talked to me afterwards and she says, I have to tell you, she's like, that was the most informative class I have ever been to. Mm -hmm. I thought I knew everything that there was to know about autism and boy, was I wrong because so many of those videos Mm -hmm. were so much like my son. Mm -hmm. And I thought that those were happening because of something totally different. Like I was so wrong about what that was actually meaning. And she says, it's just, she says, I just wish that this training was, I wish I'd had this training years ago because it's now making me look at my own child through a different mm-hmm. lens. And, and again, parents don't know what they don't know. And mm-hmm. mom came in just auditing it because, you know, she sits on a couple other committees and she just wanted to know what mm-hmm. this training was, um, thinking that there was not one thing that she would be able to take away from it. Mm-hmm. And, Boom. um, mind blown. Yeah. It was blown. So. I'm pretty sure that was the most hyped I'd ever felt yeah. after going to yeah. Oh, really? Oh, well, thank working you. With students, like it, one of the big things that I think everybody who, from our team that came, one of the things of um, your tone, like when you, the processing speed and repeating things in the same tone. Oh, yeah, like the intonation. Yeah, yeah same tone, like same intonation. Yes, one of the best ways that, you know, receptive processing is delayed when you're talking about um, people with autism. And so, well, be it, you know, you can be a Sheldon Cooper of the world or a Bill Gates of the world, you know, depending on the circumstance, the sensory input coming in, just how good of a day you're having, mm-hmm. you know, your receptive speed, um, language processing speed can be, um, 
can require a little more time. There's a little bit of a delay. Um, and I think people with ADHD can kind of process this. Like, you know, you're, when you have ADHD, you're focusing on, you're kind of processing it and then you realize, oh my gosh, they're like, now they're like 10 blocks down the way because I was still kind of processing this one point that they had made. Same sort of thing when you're talking about receptive language processing. But, um, you know, to that degree, um, the more you're stacking on, the more language, the more questions, the more words, it can like stretch out that, that receptive processing speed. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so you see a delay and I always do in the training, I use a one minute timer to be able to just really get people to understand just what one minute of processing actually is. And the question I ask is I ask a question, I set the timer, um, and they cannot answer my question until 60 seconds goes by. And the question I ask is what did you have for dinner? Yeah. Yeah. And we're all awkwardly staring at this poor person and they can't respond because the timer is going. And, you know, I pause for a little bit. We're all awkwardly staring. You laugh a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then, and this is what often happens, I think I'm going to help by rephrasing the question. So then I ask that person the question, well, uh, you had dinner last night, right? Okay, well, that's a yes or a no. I think I'm helping, but it's a different output. It's not the same answer. Mm. Um, Then a follow-up question I make within this one minute, because just so you guys know, you are still within the one minute when I ask this question. Like, so when you really actually feel what a minute is, um, I'll ask, well, did you eat at home or did you go out to eat? And again, different question. Um, And so then once the timer goes off, they can answer and they're answering the first question. Now, in real life world, if somebody just stares at you blankly for like just even a minute, you're just like, "Mm, something's not right with this person. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're going to follow up questions. Maybe you're going to have completely walked away because that person's not responding. Um, And then sometimes, too, you're on the fifth, sixth, seventh, twentieth question and they're answering the first one because Mm -hmm. that's what they're focusing on. It seems very disjointed. But in the big context, I think it actually might be perfectly logical if you were to rewind that sequence and be like, oh, they were answering the very first question. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that problem with you know autism and just that whole processing piece um, that it does become, it seems disconnected mm-hmm. um, because we're just mile a minute, mile a minute, mile a minute. And so what we always say is if you want to speed that up, it's very simple. You the same tone, the same words, same intonation. Um, so an example is the video that we use is um, mom's asking, hey, Hayden, did you go pee yet? She pauses. Hey, Hayden, did you go pee yet? She pauses. And then she starts, hey, Hayden. And then he pops up and he says, I did. No, I am. I am. But that was 15 seconds. This whole little video clip was a 15-second span. But because she used the same words, the same tone, the same intonation, and she paused, 15 seconds isn't bad. But it did. 15 seconds did seem like a long time, especially when you're watching what he's doing in that span of time. Um, but he popped up and he says, I did. No, I am. I am. She says, well, you better. Um, now... The difference is, and I use my own personal parenting example of verbally vomiting over my son, Caleb. You know, when you just keep talking, it's a different question. It's a different, you know, you think you're helping, so you reword it. But it's a different question, Mm -hmm. which requires a different response. You're just adding to that complication. Um, You know, my tone is different. My words are different. The output question or, you know, the answer is going to be inherently different. It adds to just that communication piece and then you're just stretching it and you're making it just more complicated so you can speed things up so fast by just like in the morning it's like caleb get your shoes on Mm -hmm. caleb get your (laughs) shoes on caleb 
get your shoes on. I mean, literally it sounds like man, like broken record, but that's what it takes for him to be able to process it fast, especially in the morning. Cause nobody wants to get up early in the morning. Nobody, yeah. nobody does, but that's what it takes for him to process it quickly and be able to be like, Oh, I'm supposed to be getting my shoes on. Mm-hmm. Where are those shoes? You know, mm-hmm. Caleb, get your backpack. Caleb, get your backpack. You know what I mean? It's just making it simple. You're taking out a lot of the nonsense. Now I could say, dang it, Caleb, how many times have I asked you to find your shoes? Mm -hmm. Where are they? Have you looked for them? You know, so much that goes into what language is. Mm -hmm. And it just makes it so much more complicated for their brains when they're processing. And that helped us with um, one of our students, actually. Like that was, it's something for me, being somebody who constantly, you know, your job is a, a mentor is to learn about somebody and then figure out what the most effective way to, you know, help them out with. And oftentimes that's random questioning. Yes. That's, um, okay, I'll, I'll present this in a different way and see if you can digest it through this. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big thing for a long time until I realized even before, I think before we came to your training, I had just started being like, I'm just going to ask the same thing. Yes. And then when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the answer. <laughs> yes. like, that is it's the, the same thing. And so the the tough part for us was we have these dual diagnosis um, patients or, or multiple and it's tough to differentiate whether which something one is, it? is, you know, yeah. which one is it? Is it have to do more with autism? Does it have to do more with... Bipolar, psychosis, schizoaffective. So it's, you know, it helped. We're like, oh, that's definitely more of the autism. It is. but And that's the thing, too, is, you know, to be clear, too, is that these strategies work with a variety Mm -hmm. of people with a variety of different diagnoses. And so Mm -hmm. that's the thing that's beautiful about it is, you know, we're teaching you, you know, here's autism, and these are kind of your best tools. But it will work for other people with, like, different types of diagnoses because, you know, the brain functions in some capacities Mm -hmm. with, you know, again, language processing can be difficult. Um, And so, you know, like, cerebral palsy, same sort of thing. Um, you know, so you find that there are sometimes the, the bubbles sometimes kiss. And so the mm-hmm. same strategies work regardless of what bubble you're working in. But mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. So can you, um, and we, wanna, we don't want to hold you too much longer, but can you speak to the future of autism? You spoke about uh, some of the, some of the, I can't say statistics mm-hmm. um, and kind of like when those statistics were taken um, but what does that look like in the next like five to ten to twenty years? Oh my goodness! Yeah, this is a tough one. So the CDC Center for Disease Control is telling us that one in fifty-nine children have an autism diagnosis, um, and when you're looking at um, like boys versus girls, mm-hmm. it's you know like one in thirty-five are boys, one in one hundred fifty-one are girls, um, and the thing that we're you know, the change, the rate change in autism year to year has been consistently like 10 to 17% increase per year. Mm -hmm. So that's been, and this has been consistent for, I would say the last 10 years, the rate change prevalency rate has changed 10 to 17%. The problem is if you were to just use census materials and start calculating what this could look like, if we're going to continue to project out, we could be looking at one in 12 children diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder by 2020. Okay, so if we're just crunching the data that the Center for Disease Control is using for these, this statistic, we could be looking at one in 20 
uh, or one in twelve by twenty twenty. Right now, you were saying it's like one in fifteen. What? It's one. So it, one the over 59. one in fifty nine. Okay. So currently, it's one in fifty nine. But if you're looking at, you know, like, um, but if you know, we were to start calculating numbers, they were they have been projecting for years that mm-hmm. using this prevalency rate change and just mm-hmm. data, by twenty twenty, we could be looking at one in twelve. And people are saying, well, how is that possible? At the Center for Disease Control, updated the statistic at the end of last April and instead mm-hmm. one in fifty nine. And this is the reason why, is the data that the CDC used to determine 1 in 59 was information collected from 2014. And that's what the problem is, is Mm. that so, you know, they're looking for a data collection that is old. Mm. And so, you know, you're thinking, well, gosh, you know, how can it be 1 in 12 by 2020 when it's 2019? And the CDC is saying that it's 1 in 59. Mm. It's because it's going to take a little while for us to be capturing current data, Mm. analyzing it and seeing is the prevalency rate changing, which we can't right now. They're saying it's still been consistent 10 to 17 percent per year. um, And we're using data from 2014. Mm. So it's going to be a while, you know, before we can really see whether or not we actually pay and we are going to be looking at numbers as dismal as 1 in 12, mm. it's difficult to say. Mm. So what does that look like in regards to students? Students, I'm sorry. Um, then young adults or children um, in the future as far as whether it be um, li- uh, lifestyle, whether it be workplace, whether it be school, we spoke about school. Um, what does that look like for those young people then Uh, with autism. Well, and I think that that's a really good point because we have to be then looking at this population of individuals. 80% of the individuals, 80% of people are 24 years old and younger. Mm. Okay. So 80%, that's a huge balloon of Mm -hmm. people that are aging up. And when you're dealing with someone with autism, um, depending on the level of severity of it, they can go through public education through 21 years old. Mm -hmm. So we are now just on the first wave of being um, underprepared for meeting the need of young adults that are aging out of public education mm-hmm. into adulthood. So it's like a cliff. There really isn't the supports in place. We don't have employment supports to help um, find um Employment, gainful employment mm-hmm. um, for individuals on the autism spectrum. You know, 85% of individuals um, on the autism spectrum, 85% of them are under or unemployed, mm. which means that they have to live with a parent or caregiver or a roommate for the span of a life. Mm. That's... Like That's mind-blowing, isn't sure. it? When you're looking at this the, this data, it is mind-blowing. And we do not have the resources in place as a community to be able to meet this need. We don't have enough housing. So mm-hmm. as much as I would love to live forever, and that would be my end, like that would be a really great option for me because, you know, I want to make sure Caleb is taken mm-hmm. care of. I can't live for forever. Mm-hmm. And that means that there is going to come a time where he is going to need to be able to support himself through gainful mm-hmm. employment, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if that those supports aren't in place, then where is he going to live? You know, he cannot live with me for forever. That means that we have to have, potentially, we have to look mm-hmm. at siblings mm-hmm. to fill that need. Or are there programs in place that have um, employment, or I'm sorry, living living 
supported living, like not to the same degree of like an aging person, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. supports in place so that they're not being victimized, that they can have some planning and organization mm-hmm. support because planning and organization does hamper their ability mm-hmm. to live independently. Um, so just, you know, some of those mm-hmm. supports in place, coaching, mentoring, if you will, mm-hmm. to be able to live independently and just, you know, like meal planning, you know, even calorie counting, mm-hmm. because, you know, some of them just, you know, like, again, you know, that whole, well, I like to eat these things and you're not thinking about, well, is this healthy? Is this, could this potentially lead to diabetes, obesity, mm-hmm. all these other things? Again, they're not concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it causes, you know, health issues. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just a whole enormity of things that we're not really, um, prepared at this point to mm-hmm. be able to meet that need. Um, so can they live fairly independently? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But they need supports and we don't have community Absolutely. supports in place. You have just described our program. Yes. <laughs> which is why I was so excited when you guys told me more about this. It's like, yeah. this sounds like exactly what I'm preaching to. Exactly. Like, it really does. It, it speaks exactly to what I'm preaching to is we need mentoring types of opportunities mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we can help support them and teach them and guide them. Mm-hmm. Also protect them from, you know, like I talked about, you know, like my son being like the best friend to the bully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, what does that mean? He gets, you know, preyed upon because, you know, he is naive. He doesn't know to ask the right question. He thinks that everybody just wants to be his friend and they don't have ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. It's a whole slew of things that were just not prepared. Um, even intimate partner violence. I'm speaking mm-hmm. at a conference in San Diego, you know, talking about, you know, the sad reality is people with that are differently abled and disabled are preyed upon and sexually victimized mm-hmm. because they don't know any better. Well, this person loves me. They say that they care about me, you know, and so then you, you know, they get, you know, connected with people that are, um, you know, not safe people yeah. to be with. And so it's a big, huge issue that as a community, we're going to have to start mm-hmm. having some really um, courageous conversations around mm-hmm. what this is going to look like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So No, it's definitely, it's been at least with some of our students that we've had, it it is a long-term care. Um, And so figuring out, you know, we've done everything from helping people set up social security. And then on top of that, being able to work with or or gauge, you know, they really function well within these, these areas. We've, we've had a a young man um, who can't, you know, start an oven worth anything but can get all over the entire town oh yeah the bus system yes right and splinter skills splinter skills so amazing Mm -hmm. yeah even people who don't have the same struggle couldn't do the things that he was doing you know in these certain capacities um but when it came to something like that it was just like no yeah i can't you know do that so it's it's been interesting because every person that we've worked with is so different um you can tell that the the long-term care is needed, that they will need some relationship to help them navigate through different scenarios and situations. But, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, those are some of my favorite, um, students to work with just because, um, you get, it's just, it's really strange how long it takes to get to some things. Yeah. But when you get there, you're like, wow. Like yes. when he started using the yes. oven, I yes. had lost my mind. I think in our yes. training, like everybody, yeah. we, we, everybody heard that. And we've all worked with this young adult. And uh, when somebody said he was working with his oven, I think everybody was just like, oh. I know that's exactly <laughs> you it. You You're like, it's an oven. Yeah. <laughs> Look, he used it. I know. You know but but. He, here's what I will tell you, too, is that I am one that, you know, we really focus on early intervention. And I'm telling you right here and now, early intervention really um, is essential. Mm-hmm. We have early intervention definitely gives us the best prognosis. Mm-hmm. However, you will never, ever, ever tell me 
that there is basically an ending point to personal development. Mm -hmm. And that's where I get really frustrated when we even look at this topic of, you know, these young adults. Yeah, they're aging out at 21. But I know that I am not the same person I was when I was 21. You know what I'm saying? And I really feel like to what you're talking to mm. is teaching someone to use the oven. Like just because they don't have, you know, that skill set mm. yet doesn't mean that, Oh, well we just quit trying. Mm-hmm. Oh, well they're this age. So we don't like continue to work on these, you know, personal care skills. Mm. I'm sorry. Um, this is something that we should be working on through the span of a life. Mm-hmm. But yet again, what do we have in place to be working mm-hmm. on developing these skills and improving their abilities throughout the life? Yeah. And, you know, families work on it, obviously, but, you know, dynamics being what they are and, you know, again, just, you know, circumstances sometimes that, you know, that's not always possible. They don't have those supports in place. So right. what happens then? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And that's why we want to, that's why this podcast exists, um, because, there are students that we have in our program, but there's also an entire community yes. that we want this stuff to be a resource to. So whether it's in Coeur d'Alene, mm-hmm. whether it's in Spokane, uh, I think that's why we both, after that training, or even probably during the training, we were like, we have to get Ali on the podcast. <laughs> that was, that was I was like so flattered when you asked thought. me. Oh, I was like, goodness. oh. I was like guys... sitting here too, and I was just like, she's not going to want to do this. She's too cool for this podcast. <laughs> oh, no. But no. Oh, we, no. <laughs> we no. were so excited. When you sent me that message, I was like, a podcast? Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's awesome. Love it. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Holly, for coming oh, on and speaking with us. Yeah. We'll definitely have to have you on again, and we'll Please. definitely have to do that like eight-hour training yes. next time. We'll have to have yes. you out in Coeur Followed sometime. by part two of this podcast. Yeah, yes, yes, right? Yes. For sure. Yes. Well, can, real fast, before we end, can you let people know how they can get a hold of you, how yes. they can find you on uh, online and everything? I would love to. So you can find us online at theisaacfoundation.org, mm-hmm. and you just the, the trick here is you got to spell Isaac correctly. So I did I it wrong five F- times. Yep, I know, right? So as long as you know how to spell Isaac, and it has two A's, I-S-A-A-C, uh-huh. foundation.org you'll find us and if you go to our website um, there's kind of like three um, segments that you can enter our website there's the parent portal where mm-hmm. it has a lot of um, resources for parents so if you're a parent listening to this there's all sorts of different things that you can get access to there mm-hmm. and then there is um, a first responder section and then there's a community partner so you can find the training list on the community partner tab because um, we have you know all sorts of trainings again just trying to get the word out that we have these available and again too keeping in mind that this is a great resource you know parents need training too Mm -hmm. you know there's so much that parents don't understand so you know that's a good resource too well thank you so much holly yes thanks for thanks for coming to learn more about integrated interventions follow us on social media at integrated interventions or check us out on our website at integrated interventions llc.com you can also learn more about integrated interventions on our new youtube vlog by clicking the link below or searching integrated interventions as a hashtag on youtube thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you next time